Hey, how's it going, everybody? Chris Trapasso here for another episode of the Prospect Podcast. Football's back. NFL teams, a few of them, had their rookies report to camp earlier this week. So as soon as we know it, the NFL, the preseason is going to be upon us. Training camp is going to be in full swing very soon. That means college football is right around the corner and your fantasy football draft is likely in the next couple of weeks, if not maybe a month away. So me being an NFL draft guy and someone who for his entire life has loved memorizing where NFL players went to college, I wanted to record an episode of a all-time fantasy football draft using players all from the same college and then ranking where those all-time fantasy football squads would be up against each other. And if you're a faithful listener to the Prospect Podcast or you follow my work on CBSSports.com, hopefully you do both, of course. You know that usually when it comes to ranking things, I like to have some type of quantitative system. It's certainly with any type of rankings, there's subjectivity involved. But when you have a, some kind of ranking or grading system, uh, it makes it a little bit easier to remove any of your own bias uh, that you have. But for the sake of just this being my, my one episode per week, uh, and I did put a lot of research into this, but I didn't want to take the extra crazy amount of time to figure out how I could devise a system to truly rank these colleges and their all-time teams. It's just almost strictly based on feel. And this was difficult. I'll have to say it was a lot of fun, but very difficult. And I guess maybe it was just a reminder to me to not have any of my rankings when it comes to college players or ranking young players at the NFL level. Do not have them strictly ranked on field because this was so hard to differentiate uh, these top teams from each other. I have eight teams, eight schools, eight teams from eight different schools picked out. Or is it nine? It might be nine. Because at that point, when I was doing more research, I realized that some of the other big schools didn't really uh, match up. And, and I, I was kind of grasping at straws to find wide receivers, to find uh, extra players. And this group that I have here at the top is just superb. I'm going to start. Oh, and by the way, how these fantasy teams, I had them set up. Number one, does not just need to be active players because I was I thought about doing it that way, but then realized it would be really difficult to find quality players um, that are actually active right now in the NFL from a lot of schools. Probably would have been Alabama at the top, just thinking strictly about the last 14 years of the Nick Saban era there, uh, certainly over the last seven to 10 years, the Dabo Swinney era in Clemson uh, would probably have given the Crimson Tide a run for their money like they do typically uh, in the college football playoff, Ohio State up there as well. I wanted to go all time. So there's no limit on all time players. If you're active, if you're retired, that does not matter. And the setup that I have for this, one quarterback, one running back, two wide receivers. We're doing a two flex league, so two position flex, and then one individual defensive player. Because so I didn't want to strictly just highlight offensive players um, in this. I actually I have nine schools. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You know, I have eight schools. Uh, that again, anything beyond that, and I I, I looked at most of the premier quote unquote, blue blood programs. Uh, and I didn't see any team that 
really stood out beyond these eight. And starting at number eight, and this is, I'll admit, starting off, uh, not necessarily cheating, but using some wiggle room here, the Florida Gators, and I'll explain why. The Florida Gators quarterback, I put as Cam Newton. We all know Cam Newton hardly played for the Florida Gators, but he did have a uniform, did play for the Florida Gators early in his college career before all the off-the-field stuff and transferring to Auburn, winning the Heisman there. Cam Newton's my quarterback, my running back. This was easy. Emmett Smith, first ballot Hall of Famer. Chris Collinsworth, uh, who's actually very solid wide receiver, not just at Florida, but in the NFL, uh, for those who have really only watched him on Sunday Night Football the last decade and a half. He was a first-team All-Pro. He was a three-time second-team All-Pro. And, oh, by the way, this fantasy draft is not based on how good these players were in college because any Florida fan listening would say, why wouldn't Tim Tebow be your quarterback? It's NFL success. So it's kind of using how I would look at these players as a draft analyst and saying, let's pick the best players who went to these schools based on how good they were in the NFL. So Florida is at number eight, Cam Newton at quarterback. I get it. It's a stretch. Emmett Smith as the running back. First wide receiver, Chris Collinsworth. Second, Percy Harvin. My flex position is Fred Taylor. To me, someone who desperately deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. If you look at his career statistics compared to a lot of running backs already in the Hall of Fame, they're they're much better. He, he was so efficient running the football. I think he's one of the purest, most talented, big running backs in NFL history. 6'1", around almost 230 pounds, but could fly. Uh who's only a second team all pro one time in 2007. Uh, but he was a, a very, very prolific runner over 11,000 rushing yards in his career. My other flex position, it was difficult. I could have gone Aaron Hernandez, but I went Jordan Reed. Uh, I think, and you could use either one of those two um, tight ends. There really wasn't another running back or wide receiver that really stood out in terms of having NFL success. And then the individual defensive player for Florida, Jack Youngblood, for any of the older listeners or any football historians out there know how good of a pass rusher Jack Youngblood was. Five-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro. He was the defensive player of the year in back-to-back -back seasons in 1975 and 1976. He was on the NFL's uh, 1970s all decade team. He's in the Rams ring of honor or ring of fame. He was a stud. It was the first or a first round pick in the 1971 draft played his entire 14 year career with the Los Angeles Rams. So that's a pretty solid squad. I mean, to per Percy Harvin, not amazing. Chris Collinsworth wasn't a, a, a hall of fame wide receiver at the NFL level, Jordan Reed, eh, but that's why they were at number eight. But I thought, terms of a fantasy roster, that was pretty solid. The Florida Gators come in at number eight. At number seven, staying in the SEC, the team that plays the Florida Gators in the world's largest outdoor cocktail party, I refuse to not call it that. Like They, they changed the name for uh, political correctness or not trying to advocate drinking, whatever. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. I love watching that game. There's been so many awesome games between Florida and Georgia. Last year was insane, the amount of points that were put up on the board. 
um, in that contest. But Georgia comes in at number seven. The quarterback, super easy, Fran Tarkenton. Uh, one of the best, I don't want to say forgotten quarterbacks, but seeing that he did play so long ago um, in the 60s and 70s, I think it's easy for a lot of younger fans to lose sight of just how good he was and that he played from 1961 to 1978. He was the MVP in 1975, first team all pro in that season, of course, nine time pro bowler. Um, he led the league in passing yards one year, passing touchdowns. He threw for 47,000 yards. And it's crazy with Fran Tarkenton to see his career passer rating was only 80.4, but again, it was a completely different game. Fran Tarkenton is the original like scrambling improvisational quarterback. Whenever uh, there is a draft prospect that can run around a little bit and has high level athleticism, you could certainly draw a comparison. And we've heard a lot about that, you know, on TV and podcasts where they say, Hey, it's kind of like Fran Tarkenton. Like I remember Johnny Manziel in that 2014 draft class. Like that was a comparison that a lot of people had for him. Of course, Tarkenton was 50 million times more successful at the NFL level, but 47,000 passing yards, way more touchdowns than interceptions. And you know, from that era, there are a lot of good quarterbacks that actually had more interceptions than touchdowns who were revered as really good quarterbacks. Tarkenton was way 342 career passing touchdowns, 266 interceptions, and he ran for 32 touchdowns in his career. So that was a very easy one for the Georgia Bulldogs. Then as we know, the the Georgia program has just been spitting out running backs like every couple of years, some high caliber guys. Herschel Walker is my pick for their just starting running back here at number seven in this all-time what college alumni fantasy draft. If that's what we're gonna call it. He was a second team all pro twice. Uh, he was the MVP of the USFL. There was a lot of those issues um, with those marquee players entering the league in the early 80s, like Jim Kelly, uh, Steve Young, that played in the USFL before it folded. So he missed some of his prime, especially as a running back, prime days of his legs on the New Jersey Generals from 1983 to 1985. Um, he was a two-time All-USFL selection, was a pro bowler later in the 80s and 87 and 88, um, famously was traded uh, for a, a absolute king's ransom and was really that helped the Dallas Cowboys build their dominant teams in the 1990s by trading away Herschel Walker to the Minnesota Vikings. Played on a bunch of teams, played from 83 with the New Jersey Generals all the way to 97 in his second stint with the Dallas Cowboys. So not a, a as ridiculous of a college career as he was in high school and certainly as lauded as he was at Georgia, but that was a pretty easy pick for the Georgia Bulldogs. That wide receiver, two quality ones, Heinz Ward and A.J. Green. And A.J. Green will be an interesting one when it comes to the Hall of Fame. I think because he was on the Bengals, a team that when he was there never won a playoff game. And he was very soft-spoken. He was in the same draft as Julio Jones. He was like always overshadowed by other receivers. He was damn good for a long time. A seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time second-team All-Pro. He was 
in his prime, and of course he's still playing, he's 32 years old, got signed by the Arizona Cardinals this offseason. I mean, A.J. Green, I thought during from like 2011, his rookie year and maybe the next season, till only about two or three years ago, he was a top seven wide receiver. Like he was producing at a ridiculous rate. He had five seasons to start his NFL career over a thousand yards with Andy Dalton as his quarterback. Three of those seasons, double digit touchdowns, had another thousand yard season at 29 years old in 2017. He's had a bunch of injuries the last couple of years. Uh, and last season he did play a full slate, but I don't think he was the same guy. And of course the Bengals, um, especially after Joe Burrow, went down, had a pretty disastrous quarterback situation. But so, yeah, I, I don't know if AJ green ever makes it into the hall of fame, but he is certainly someone that belongs on the Georgia all time fantasy roster and Heinz Ward, very easy at the other wide receiver position. And then at the flex spot with how many good running backs there were, I mean, I could have gone Todd Gurley here, but I actually went with Nick Chubb and Terrell Davis. Because I think Nick Chubb is on his way to being a not just the best running back in the NFL, which I believe he is right now. I think he is tracking toward being one of the best running backs of his generation. And I mean that. He has all the attributes to be very, very productive every time he's on the football field. He's battled back from injury after injury in college. Certainly he was almost famous for the injuries at Georgia and the fact that he stayed there through his senior season and even got injured last year on the Browns and still was hyper, hyper efficient. I mean, even in college, he averaged 7.1 yards per carry as a freshman, 8.1 yards per carry in those six games before he got injured, and then 5.0 yards per carry in 2016, and then six yards per carry in his final season at Georgia. Uh, he's been over five yards per carry in all three of his seasons with the Browns. And this Browns offensive line is set up at least for the next couple of years, at least. I mean, we know how fast things change around or kind of turn over in the NFL to be, it's probably the best offensive line in the game. And they want to run the football and they have Kevin Stefanski running the show, running that wide zone Shanahan scheme. So Nick Chubb, to be someone that's only entering his fourth season, I, I think he's deserving. Certainly Terrell Davis. Um, I, I do think Terrell Davis is, was a little bit of a stretch to make the Hall of Fame. I think a lot of voters looked at the Super Bowl titles, and, uh, I mean, he played for seven years in the NFL. He was the MVP in 98, won the Super Bowl back-to-back with John Elway, three-time first-team All-Pro, ran for 2,000 yards in that Mike Shanahan scheme. Led the league in touchdowns twice. It was just a, not enough longevity for me for him to be a, a absolute slam dunk pro football Hall of Famer. But it did take him some years to get in. And um, for being a Georgia running back who didn't really have a crazy Georgia career, he was a sixth round pick, almost picked 200, 196 in that 95 draft. He certainly had a, a much better NFL career than he did in college. And then my individual defensive player, this was easy, Champ Bailey. To me, after I think after Dion and Darrell Revis, Champ Bailey was the best, just purely athletic lockdown cornerback in NFL history. And, and maybe there's someone I, I, I'm 
unintentionally omitting like from the 50s or 60s. But I, I am slightly, I'm a little bit of an NFL historian. There's not anyone that really pops into my head. Champ Bailey was a 12-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, four-time second-team All-Pro. He played from 99 to 2013. He was so good on those Washington Redskins teams. And then with the Broncos as well, after that big Clinton Portis trade, 52 career interceptions, 203 career pass breakups. Like, that's insanity. He came into the league with a ton of fanfare, like a lot of hype, and he lived up to that hype. I think he almost exceeded that hype. He had 24 pass breakups in 2002 in Washington. He had over 10 pass breakups almost 10 times, or more than 10 times. So Champ Bailey, he had 10 interceptions in 2006, 10. And the season before that, eight interceptions. Started his career, five in 1999, five interceptions in 2000. Besides 2013, his last season in Denver, that was shortened to just five games due to injury, Champ Bailey had an interception every single season in the NFL. And only one of those seasons did he have one interception. He had multiple picks in every single season besides one in the NFL, discounting his last year in Denver as a 35-year-old corner. So Georgia comes in at number seven. Number six, are my notes here, Florida State Seminoles. Now, the quarterback position is a weak spot for this group, for one of the more acclaimed college programs in football history. Jameis Winston, I get it. He, he may not even win the starting job this summer down in New Orleans with Taysom Hill, but there's really not a quarterback from Florida State that really stuck out to me. And I, I know he's infamous for the 30 interceptions two years ago and the fact that he gets replaced by Tom Brady and kind of the same team wins the Super Bowl. But I think Jameis Winston could be, if we had a fantasy league, that that we could use all these players, and I don't know how we would do it because a lot of these players are not playing anymore. I think Jameis Winston could hold his own because he puts up a lot of yards. In that 30-touchdown season two years ago, he also threw for 33 touchdowns and led the league in passing yards. From here on out, Florida State's pretty solid. Dalvin Cook is the running back. I know he's relatively young, but he's, to me, an elite ball carrier in today's NFL. Very efficient. Uh, did not have a crazy workout at the combine. I'll never forget that. But on the field, he's blisteringly fast. The agility between the tackles, the vision, contact balance, all high caliber. Then the running back, or the wide receivers, Fred Bolitnikoff, who, by the way, that is what the Bolitnikoff Award is named after for the best college football wide receiver. Yeah, he is 78 years old, and he was picked in 1965. But we're talking about a first-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler, led the league in receptions, uh, played in the AFL and the NFL. Pretty good player. I mean, he was insane at Florida State, but had a very productive 
NFL career that spanned 16 seasons from 1965 to 78 with the Oakland Raiders. Um, and then he played with the Montreal Elouettes in 1980. So I guess only 15 seasons, 14, 15 seasons. And then the other wide receiver spot, Anquan Bolden, to me, Hall of Famer. I, I don't think um, there would be a lot of people disagreeing with that. He's kind of on the fringe, but to have almost 14,000 yards in his career, over 1,000 catches, 82 touchdowns, what he did as a rookie in 2003 with the Arizona Cardinals, 101 catches, almost 1,400 yards and eight touchdowns as a rookie in 03 on the Cardinals. And then two years later, he led the league in receptions, targets, and receiving yards. He was dominant. He's, to me, the embodiment of being a physical contested catch wide receiver. That wasn't 6'4", 6'5". That was just physical at the line, physical getting out of his breaks as a route runner, and then certainly down the field. And the fact that he was able to produce young with the Cardinals, then in Baltimore, and then even in San Francisco a little bit late in his career. So Fred Bolitnikoff, old school guy, Anquan Bolden, complete stud. I think he could maybe sneak into the Hall of Fame eventually. Then the two flex spots, Warwick Dunn, who had a very productive NFL career. I think there was a little bit more hype for him entering the league uh, than what he ultimately lived up to. But he ran for almost 11,000 yards in the NFL. He was the rookie of the year three-time Pro Bowler, never like the best running back in the NFL, but always very productive. And the other flex spot, Lavernius Cole. Like That was why Florida State wasn't a little higher. I mean, you're looking at Bolitnikoff and Anquan Bolden and Dunn, and then Lavernius Cole uh, drags it down slightly. I think he was always a good number, number two-ish wide receiver in the NFL, one-time Pro Bowler. I think certainly being a third-round pick, he outproduced uh, being the 78th pick in the 2000 draft. But the reason, the main reason why Florida State got the number six spot over Florida and over Georgia, just slightly, is the individual defensive player, Deion Sanders. To many, the best pure cover cornerback of all time. He can return kicks, uh, lock down your team's best Wide receiver in man zone didn't matter. Deion Sanders, first ballot Hall of Famer. He kind of buoys this group. And in my head, his sole presence pushed him, pushed the Florida State Seminoles slightly ahead of Florida, their arch rivals, and Georgia at number seven. At number five, this is one of the last teams that I researched and, and just made sure that uh, I, I felt good about this ranking, seeing that it was top five. The USC Trojans. And really, the weak spot is quarterback, Carson Palmer. I mean, we, we know how many USC quarterbacks had a lot of hype entering the NFL that ultimately flamed out or never lived up to that hype. But Carson Palmer had a pretty productive NFL career. The fact that he threw for over 46,000 yards, uh, was a second-team All-Pro, four-time Pro Bowler. He led the league in touchdown passes and completion percentage early in his career 
in Cincinnati with the Bengals in 2005. Uh, and that 2015 season, when they, the Cardinals got to the NFC title game, he was really good. And that kind of came out of nowhere. He had a late season resurrection or late career resurrection with Bruce Arians with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, so that's the weak spot for the, the number five USC Trojans. The running back position, as you probably remember, is loaded. OJ Simpson's the running back, first ballot Hall of Famer, the first running back to run for 2,000 yards in a, oh, by the way, 14-game season. Wide receiver spot, Frank Gifford, who, again, I, I want to mention some of these guys because I, I don't want them to be forgotten. This guy was a stud in the NFL, six-time first-team All-Pro, played in the 50s, so it's a little bit before uh, or it, it's it's before the merger, so there weren't as many teams, but six times was a first-team All-Pro, eight-time Pro Bowler, won Comeback Player of the Year once, was the MVP uh, in 1956, was on the NFL's 1950s All-Decade team. His number 16 is retired by the Giants. He ran the football. He caught the football. Frank Gifford, wide receiver from USC. And then the other wide receiver, Lynn Swan, who's kind of the lone receiving standout on those steel curtain teams of the 1970s. He was the first round pick by the Steelers in 1974. First team all pro in 1978 and two times second team all pro in 75 and 77. Only 5,462 receiving yards. But remember, this was a team that was completely predicated on defense and running the football. But he won the Super Bowl four times. That probably helped his Hall of Fame credentials and helped him get in. I think if you just looked at his stats, 336 receptions, less than 5,500 receiving yards, even from that era, it's not amazing. But he was the deep threat with Terry Bradshaw in Pittsburgh. Then in my flex spot for USC, Marcus Allen. Like to have OJ as the running back and then Marcus Allen at the flex seemed unfair. And that dynamic pushed the Trojans inside the top or into the top five. And the other flex spot, Keyshawn Johnson, uh, who first overall pick at wide receiver in the 1996 draft. Three-time Pro Bowler, won the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers, but was never... Didn't live up to being a number one overall pick, but had a very long and relatively illustrious career. Averaged 13 yards per reception in, in his career, which is not an easy thing to do. Over 10,000 receiving yards, 814 career receptions. So I guess because he bounced around, maybe that's why I think like he never really lived up to being the first overall pick in a draft, being a wide receiver, especially in 1996, when the league was certainly very grounded pound heavy. But he was... Very productive for a long time with the Jets, the Bucks, and the Cowboys, and even the Panthers in 2006. He had 815 yards in his final season in 2006 with the Panthers. Four 1,000 yard receiving seasons, went over or got to the 10 touchdown plateau once, a bunch of seasons with eight touchdowns. And then my individual defensive player was. Similar to the fact that Deion Sanders raised the Florida State Seminoles to number six over some big-time SEC programs, 
USC was helped into this number five spot by their individual defensive player. I know it's fantasy and you're like, hey, come on, it's fantasy. doesn't really matter. It's all offensive minded, but I, I didn't want to completely exclude defensive guys. My USC individual defensive player, which was not easy, by the way, there's a lot of really good defenders that went to USC. I went with Ronnie Lott. Not only did he win four Super Bowls, he was an eight-time first-team All-Pro. Led the league in interceptions twice. He was on the NFL's 75th anniversary team and the 100th anniversary team. And he was on the NFL's All-80s team and was a second-team All-90s decade team player. When it came to hard hits and interceptions, 63 of those, four 16 fumbles, had five touchdowns in his career. It's almost like Ronnie Lott, it, it starts at, at this point because he played, he started playing in 1981 and finished his career in 94. It's like easy to for some very young fans to not re- remember him or know of him. He's one of the best safeties of all time, like top three or four. So USC at number five, a little bit weak at quarterback, good at running back and at the flex spot with Marcus Allen and OJ Simpson, and then buoyed by Ronnie Lott, the individual defensive player. At number four, this is going to surprise you, but it's a pretty good squad. Being at number four, the Syracuse Orangemen. And I'm going with Orangemen because there's a lot of, uh, there's all retired players that are on this list. No one active. And they've been the orange for like 10 years, but they were always the orange men, obviously. Quarterback, again, kind of a weak spot, but not brutal. Donovan McNabb, very uh, long career. His longevity was good. And, of course, in Philadelphia, I think he was a little bit underappreciated. A six-time pro bowler. Uh, They did retire his number five jersey in Philadelphia. But I think in general that there was a little bit of a thought that he – being the number two pick in that 99 draft that he wasn't really um, ever like the best quarterback in the NFL. The season that he took the Eagles to the Super Bowl, he was up there. I mean, he, he ran into Tom Brady and Bill Belichick at the beginning of that dynasty, but he threw for over 37,000 yards, had way more touchdowns and interceptions. The completion percentage was never great. And I'm not going to say he ushered in kind of the, the running era, but he was a pretty good Quarterback when it came to mobility and creating on his own. 29 rushing touchdowns, over 3,000 rushing yards in his career. But then from there, Syracuse has Jim Brown at running back. Wide receiver Marvin Harrison and Art Monk, two Hall of Fame wide receivers. Extremely productive. Their errors kind of overlapped a little. Then at the flex spot, John Mackey, which ironically is the second player included here that has a college football award named after him. And not only was John Mackey, of course, a stud at Syracuse, five-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro from 66 to 68 at tight end. He won an NFL championship right before right before the merger in 1968, and then won Super Bowl V with the Baltimore Colts. He's on the NFL's uh, 50th anniversary team and the 100th all-time anniversary team. 
yeah, he was the guy that, I mean, I think Mike Ditko was a little bit before him in terms of being a really high caliber pass catching tight end. But John Mackey, of course, not only for what he did at Syracuse, but what he did in the NFL was that quintessential pass catcher at the tight end spot. And certainly looking at his statistics, you see 5,236 yards. Really? Like Rob Gronkowski has that in like four seasons. But completely different game. His yards per his career yards per reception average was almost 16, 15.8, and 38 receiving touchdowns in his career. Hall of Famer. So Donovan McNabb at running back Jim Brown, the two wide receiver spots, Harrison and Art Monk, John Mackey, and then in my flex spot, Larry Zonka. And to have Jim Brown and Larry Zonka was a big reason, similar to USC at number five. It's a big reason why Syracuse got pushed inside the top five. He was a part of that perfect Miami Dolphins team. Won two Super Bowls, was an MVP in the second one of that game. Two-time first-team All-Pro, was a second-team All-Pro one time. Five-time Pro Bowler. He won NFL Comeback Player of the Year at the end of his career, the final season in 1979. No one in Miami can wear number 39 because of Larry Zonka. Averaged over four yards per carry, which from that era, that's good. 4.3 yards per carry, 64 rushing touchdowns. Didn't have a super duper long career, especially like starting in the 1960s and, and almost getting to the 1980s when running backs were playing like a long time, but was very, very good for a long time uh, in terms of just being a powerful Athletic running back, 6'3", 237. Kind of like a mini Derrick Henry. Very close to Derrick Henry. And then the individual defensive player, to me, was pretty easy. I went with Dwight Freeney. And Dwight Freeney probably has a case um, as one of the most underrated outside pass rushers in NFL history. And I I think he's he's not insanely overlooked because he was on those good Colts teams with Peyton Manning. But seven-time Pro Bowler, three-time first-team All-Pro, was a sack leader once. He was on the NFL's All-Decade team. He won the AFC Defensive Player of the Year in 2005. 125 and a half sacks in his career. And he forced 47 fumbles. 47. That's insanity. So actually, Syracuse... Despite not being a team that's been a, or a school that's been a, a powerhouse type school recently, in terms of history, Syracuse has a lot of really, really good alumni. And by the way, as a rookie, Dwight Freeney had 20 tackles for loss in 2002. As a rookie, two years later, 16 sacks led the league. It was a really, really good prime of Peyton Manning career teams there with the Colts in Indianapolis. 125 and a half career sacks. Now inside the top three. At number three, you're probably wondering, where is Alabama? This is their spot, number three overall. Quarterback is Joe Namath, so pretty strong at the quarterback position. And I'm not going to like read off his stats because, again, completely different game. A lot of vertical stuff where they didn't really care as much about interceptions. It was more about just or certainly not completion percentage, but Joe Namath, I mean, Hall of Fame quarterback, 
won that famous Super Bowl three. He guaranteed that they were going to win over Johnny Unitas and the Colts. Second team All Pro in 1972 was the passing yards and passing touchdowns leader that year. He was a two-time MVP in the AFL before the merger. So like half of his career basically was with the Jets in the AFL. The merger happens in 1970, plays seven more seasons with the Jets, and then finishes his career in 1977 with the Rams. So Joe Namath at the quarterback spot, and then you're like, man, there's got to be so many, right? A lot of the really, 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 really good Alabama alumni are on the defensive side, but at running back, we got Derrick Henry. And at wide receiver, certainly Julio Jones. He is an all-time great wide receiver. I think he's pretty much going to – I mean, he should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. If he's not second time around, he should get in. The other wide receiver is not Amari Cooper. Don Hudson of the Green Bay Packers. And I get it. This is a player from even before any of the other guys I've already mentioned, the old school guys, the Fran Tarkentons, stuff like that. He played with the Packers from 1935 to 1945. So there were not 32 teams in the NFL, uh, but Don Hudson was dominant. Eight-time first-team All-Pro. Won the MVP twice in back-to-back seasons, three Super Bowl or three NFL championships, and eight years he led the NFL in receptions, seven times in receiving yards, and nine times in receiving touchdowns. He has 99 career touchdowns as a pass catcher. Like that's insane. And honestly, early if if you watch if you can get your hands on old um, like Packers film or maybe just Don Hudson highlights. Like they were throwing the ball a fair amount. Don Hudson is still, though, at 11th in the all-time receiving touchdown career list. They were throwing the ball a lot, like more than you would think. You think, you know, if, as far as you go back, you would think they'd be just running, 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 running. They were not afraid to air it out, and I think a lot of the reason why was because they had Don Hudson. I mean, he has more receiving touchdowns than Andre Reed, than Heinz Ward, than Calvin Johnson, than Brandon Marshall, Antonio Brown, Jimmy Graham, Rob Gronkowski. Guy was an absolute stud. He was completely dominant on the Green Bay Packers. In 1942, this stat line would be a first-team all-pro stat line in the NFL today. 74 catches, 1,211 yards. That's 16.4 yards per catch with 17 touchdowns. He averaged 110 receiving yards a game in 1942. It's insanity. So you have Julio and Don Hudson at wide receiver. Derrick Henry at running back. Joe Namath at quarterback. The flex spot is Amari Cooper. The other flex spot is Sean Alexander. To me, one of the, the last, like, True, legitimate workhorse backs in the NFL. He won the MVP in that special season there in Seattle 05 when they got to the Super Bowl. Uh, He was Offensive Player of the Year that season. First team All-Pro. Was a second team All-Pro the year before. Three-time Pro Bowler. Led the league in rushing touchdowns twice. I mean, they just pounded the rock with Sean Alexander for eight seasons in Seattle. 
over 9,000 career rushing yards, 9,453 to be exact, and 100 rushing touchdowns, which I think he's going to be near the top of that uh, list for a while because that's a lot of rushing touchdowns. He is tied with Marshall Falk in eighth behind John Riggins, Jim Brown, Walter Payton, Adrian Peterson, Marcus Allen, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Emmett Smith. And the closest active player who's actually going to probably play in 2021. Oh my God. It's Cam Newton. I mean, we have LaShawn McCoy in front of him, Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch. Cam Newton has 70 career rushing touchdowns. Todd Gurley, 67. Mark Ingram, 62. So 100 receive, or rushing touchdowns is quite the feat. And then my individual defensive player, that's a solid squad. Joe Namath, Derrick Henry, Don Hudson, Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, Sean Alexander, individual defensive player, and I could have gone with a lot. I had to go with the late, great Derek Thomas, who to me, had he not tragically passed away in that car accident in 2000, would have gone down as probably a top five edge rusher in NFL history, if not the best. Three-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, led the NFL in sacks, went over 100 sacks in his career, 126 and a half. I mean, he did play a pretty full career. He, he was, to me, and I guess when I say top five outside pass rushers, I just mean pure talent. Like when it came to get off and bend around the corner and just sheer violence at the point of attack. I mean, it's Lawrence Taylor. Derek Thomas is right there. I mean, he, he was Von Miller before Von Miller and, and had showed signs of being that Lawrence Taylor type. 20 sacks in 1990. 20. He went over 10 sacks seven different times in a very run-heavy era from 89 to 99 in Kansas City. Derek Thomas, my individual player for number three, ranked Alabama. Number two, and I thought about these last two teams for a while. It was not hard. You could also, if you're a fan of either one of these two schools or you went there, you are an alumni, you can just take the crown and say, hey, we're both number one. Number two is the Pittsburgh Panthers. They have a star-studded fantasy lineup. Quarterback Dan Marino, the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. In terms of his statistics, the pure talent, Running back, Tony Dorsett, and I could have picked a bunch of running backs, but Tony Dorsett in terms of all-time um, running backs in the NFL edged out a few of my other picks at the running back spot. First team All-Pro one time. He was the Rookie of the Year. He won a Super Bowl in Dallas, four-time Pro Bowler, almost 13,000 rushing yards, 4.3 yards per carry in his career. At wide receiver, Larry Fitzgerald, that was very easy. I was going to say relatively, but very easy. Kind of the reason, the main justification why the Pitt Panthers are at number two and not number one, the other receiver spot. And 
unless I, I just missed someone that played a long, long, long time ago, I had to go with Tyler Boyd, who's good. But when we're looking at an all-time list, he would be one of the weaker picks uh, in this group. But the flex spot is damn good. LaShawn McCoy, I think a borderline Hall of Famer. I really do. I think what he, if you just watched LaShawn McCoy play, you just knew that he was a different running back in his era. And the longevity is there too. Two-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler, led the league in both rushing touchdowns and rushing yards in two separate seasons. He's really good. 4.5 career yards per carry average, over 11,000 rushing yards. He's technically not retired, but really, really good back with the Eagles and then with the Bills. Uh, two separate teams for a bunch of seasons each. LaShawn McCoy and then Curtis Martin, the other flex spot, Hall of Famer Curtis Martin. So they have a really, in terms of skill position players, star-studded group, 14,000 yards in Curtis Martin's career. Averaged only four yards per carry. I think that was, I remember when he made it to the Hall of Fame, that was like the one ding on his name. But the first 10, 11 seasons in his career, over 1,000 yards. 14 touchdowns as a rookie, 14 touchdowns the next season. Two years later, he's on the division rival Jets after starting his career with the Patriots. Almost 1,300 yards, almost 1,500 yards, over 1,200 yards, over 1,500 yards, almost 1,100 yards, over 1,300 yards. And then in 2004, almost 1,700 yards with 12 touchdowns. Curtis Martin and LaShawn McCoy, pretty good flex spots. And then, if you're wondering, how could the Pitt Panthers with Tyler Boyd on this squad that is otherwise very, very impressive, how could they be at number two? Like, ahead of Alabama, ahead of Florida State, the individual defensive player is Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald might go down as the best defender in history because he got to play in an era that was fully embraced by media members and fans as watching every single play and understanding pressures and that it's not just about pure sacks. Although of course, Aaron Donald has many seasons of an insane amount of sacks at the defensive tackle spot, but we know that pressures are what you need to be aiming for instead of strictly looking at sacks when you're evaluating someone. He's already won the defensive player of the year three times. Six-time first-team All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler. He was a sacks leader in 2018 at defensive tackle. And he was on the 2010 NFL All-Decade team despite being drafted in 2014. He has 85 and a half career sacks. He's going to go over 100 sacks at defensive tackle. Completely, stupidly productive, disruptive in the middle. He is into his 30s, but he's only 30. He just turned 30 in May. So he probably has at least two or three more normal Aaron Donald-type seasons in him. So Dan Marino, Tony Dorsett, Larry Fitzgerald, Tyler Boyd, eh, LaShawn McCoy, Curtis Martin, Aaron Donald, strong group, Pittsburgh Panthers at number two. And number one, 
I kind of went back and forth, but then I realized, and I'll explain why, there was one reason why the Miami Hurricanes got my number one spot in this all-time college alumni fantasy draft. I said Dan Marino is the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. The second best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl, Jim Kelly, was an easy pick at, at that position. Frank Gore at running back who most likely will be a Hall of Famer just because he's going to finish so high in the career rushing yard leader list. He might get in uh, because of his longevity over being like super dominant. He's at exactly 16,000 rushing yards in his career, the third all-time. I don't think a league can have their third all-time player, especially on offense, not be in the Hall of Fame. Like when it comes to points in the NBA, when it comes to receiving yards in, in the NFL, if you're third all-time in that league's history in something as marquee as rushing yards, or a very elementary statistic, whether it be NFL, baseball, hockey, whatever, if you're third in a primary offensive stat, you've got to be in the Hall of Fame. Jim Kelly's in the Hall of Fame. Wide receiver, Michael Irvin, dominant player on those very good Cowboys teams in the late 80s and early to mid-90s. Hall of Fame. Andre Johnson, to me, bound for the Hall of Fame. Then at the flex spots, ready for these? Reggie Wayne and Edger and James. I, I've certainly, with the amount of running backs that the um, Hurricanes were pumping out there from the late 80s to the mid-90s, I could have gone in a lot of different directions. But I had to go with Edger and James. And, and going back to Andre Johnson for a second, he's 11th all-time in receiving yards. And the guy right in front of him is Reggie Wayne. Of those top 11, actually top 13 wide receivers, the only players not in the Hall of Fame are Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, and Steve Smith of the Carolina Panthers and Baltimore Ravens. So to have the number 10 and the number 11 receiving yard career leaders from the same school that was a huge boost to the Hurricanes to be the number one team. And Edger and James, I remember in the 2018 draft class, um, comparing, like everyone was trying to throw out all these comparisons for Saquon Barkley. I, I thought he was Edger and James 2.0. It's easy to forget. Edger and James, although it kind of seemed like he not was second fiddle to Peyton Manning and Marvin Harrison, but that was like when Peyton, like he played when Peyton Manning took off in terms of throwing the football early in his career and then through the prime of his career in Indianapolis. It's easy to forget. Edron James is 13th on the career rushing yard list. He's a Hall of Famer. And then my individual defensive player, Ed Reed. And I know, yes, I could have gone with Ray Lewis, but I think if you ask around the league, you maybe put a Twitter poll out there, 
who is the better in terms of NFL careers, all-time Miami defensive player? And just said Ed Reed and, and Ray Lewis. And maybe I'll do this uh, today on Twitter. I think Ed Reed would probably nudge would edge out Ray Lewis. Five-time first-team All-Pro, three-time second-team All-Pro, nine-time Pro Bowler. He led the league in, in interceptions three different times. You know how hard that is to do? There was no one else on this list that has that accolade on their career resume. 64 career interceptions, 139 pass breakups. He has almost 1,600 Interception return yards. That's insane. 11 forced fumbles. Insanely productive. And you could say, hey, maybe it's Ray Lewis. I, I think Ed Reed, the best safety of all time. He's up there. Him, Ronnie Lott, Troy Palamalu. I mean, okay, if you if you don't agree and you want to put Ray Lewis there, that still gives the Miami Hurricanes a roster, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, full of Hall of Famers. Jim Kelly's in the Hall of Fame. Frank Gore is going to be in the Hall of Fame. Michael Irvin's in the Hall of Fame. I, Andre Johnson better get in the Hall of Fame the moment he's eligible with the stats he put up with the quarterbacks he had in Houston. Reggie Wayne deserves to be, in, or is in the Hall of Fame. Or no, he's not. He deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Edron James is a Hall of Famer. And so is Ed Reed. Pittsburgh has... Dan Marino, Tony Dorsett, Curtis Martin, Aaron Donald's bound for the Hall of Fame. Larry Fitzgerald's definitely a Hall of Famer. LaShawn McCoy, eh, and Tyler Boyd is just a weak spot at wide receiver. If there's any Pitt Panther fan out there that can tweet at me or leave a comment uh, on Apple Podcasts and say, hey, you forgot this guy from the 40s. Maybe I did. I'm pretty sure I didn't. But that was the reason why, because the Miami Hurricanes have a fantasy roster full of either players that are already in the Hall of Fame or will be very soon. All right, that's all I have for today. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Chris Trapasso. This was the Prospect Podcast.